you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Tapeheads is a production of iHeartMedia and the NFL. Welcome to a brand new week and a brand new edition of Tapeheads Draft Season. It is April. Greg Cosell, we have officially reached draft month. Yes. We can we can see it on the horizon as uh, this is a different kind of podcast. Greg Cosell, longtime uh, breaker down of the film at NFL Films, and he looks at the All-22 and crawls behind the X's and O's as much as anyone, not just game coverage, but also individual player coverage, getting us set for the draft, looking at the pros, but also looking at the college players. And of course, that is where our focus is at this time of the year. I'm Bob Shoes and longtime radio voice of the New York Jets, 20 plus years of NFL play-by-play experience and also a voice of college football at ESPN. So I've had a chance to see a lot of these guys on tape with my partners in games I've called. And again, this is not the mock draft podcast. This is more of a crawl behind the X's and O's and hopefully take you inside the draft room podcast. And Greg, this is a week that we're going to talk about the passing game, but the passing game in relation to then how teams draft defense and how there's been an evolution, right? We see a lot of the college DNA now in the pros, a lot of the zone read stuff, a lot of the RPO stuff, the things that, you know, I think the pro game kind of, you know, scoffed at for decades and decades where you would see it in college football, but it didn't make its way to the NFL. Well, now the quarterbacks in college, the best ones, are so proficient at running a lot of that stuff that they bring that with them to the pros now because if you're a pro coordinator or a head coach, why would you not want the guy to run for you what he was best at in college? And that, I would assume, also has to change the way the teams look at defensive players and prospects as well. We're going to talk about some of the pass rushers and corners coming up a little bit later on, but at least just start wide-angle lens. Philosophically, how that change to a certain extent in the pros from college and that DNA making its way to the NFL has changed offenses and the passing offenses, but also now how it changes the way teams look at defensive prospects. Yeah, Bob, you hit it right on the head. 
really in the NFL now, the way people think about defense is you have to stop explosive plays and percentage-wise, far more explosive plays come out of the pass game. So how do you go about stopping the pass game? There's two ways, and there's a lot to unpack here. But you have to, one, impact the quarterback, or two, disrupt receivers. Now, more old school, before the influx of RPOs and quick game throws, which are now very prevalent in the NFL, the thought was that you had to disrupt the quarterback. You had to impact the quarterback. You had to speed him up. You're not always going to sack him, but you had to speed up the quarterback and make it more difficult for him to play with that comfort level that all quarterbacks would like to play with. So the thought was pass rushers. Let's get pass rushers predominantly off the edge. Let's speed up the quarterback. Coverage could be both man and zone because that would become a function of your ability to speed up the quarterback. But now, and you nailed this, now you have so many more RPO elements in the NFL, so much more quick game. So you're not going to get to the quarterback and speed him up the way you really like to. So who do you have to disrupt? You have to disrupt receivers so that the timing of those quick game throws is disrupted. So what does that mean? It means more man-to-man coverage, more press man coverage. You can't play off coverage zone because then those receivers on those quick routes like slant routes or glance routes or hitch routes, those routes are just free release routes if you're not in press man coverage and you get all those quick game throws of which an RPO is a quick game throw and it's just it just becomes pitch and catch. So you have to now look at corners and their ability to line up and play press man coverage to a meaningful degree. Yeah, it's funny. It reminds me of a story that the particulars of this story make it, I think, even more interesting. I was calling a Purdue game with the late Joe Tiller as the coach. And this is how far back we're now going. And we just got into a philosophical football conversation. It was awesome. You know, we just, we're just talking ball and asking him philosophically, like how he recruited at Purdue, right? Like why he knew he had to go out and get the Drew Breeses of the world and all the little receivers of the world because at Purdue, he was not going to out-recruit Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State for the 225-pound tailback. Like he wasn't going to get that guy. So he knew I have to win a different way. And he actually said, and this is, I mean, this is, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago I was doing this game, maybe 15 years ago, but he said going back to the late 70s, The coaches all used to go to these clinics and they all used to do clinics around the country for, you know, gather coaches and teach. But then after that was over, he said the best part of it was all of the coaches giving the clinics would then go to the bar and sit around and get pictures of beer and just talk ball. Correct. And he said he was sitting in a group of guys one time. This is like late 70s. And the conversation came up of what would make the perfect offense? If you could make the perfect offense what would it be? And one of the guys at the table said, if I could design the perfect offense, it would be if I could somehow marry the option with the quick passing game. So I don't know how you'd stop that. How would a defense stop the option game and combine that with the quick passing game? And at the time, it was almost like breakthrough cutting edge, but everyone is sitting at the table. Now, I mean, now fast forward 20 years, 30 years later, what are teams doing? RPOs, right? Like they're marrying a lot of those option principles with the quick passing game 
it's really hard to stop. And the guy that said that was Jack Elway, who, of course, I mean, his son, if you could go into a lab and build like a robot quarterback for the modern day NFL back then, the last thing you'd do was probably run a whole bunch of RPOs with John Elway. But his dad, of course, is saying, if I could find a way to marry the option with the quick passing game, I think that would be impossible to stop. And it just goes to show how much foresight he had because how many years later, Matt, that is a lot of what is baked into not only college football, but also even now some of today's NFL offenses. And it's funny you say that because in college football, that can really, really work effectively uh, for a number of reasons. One, of course, is the position of the hash marks. The wide side of the field is extremely wide and difficult to defend. But in the NFL, as you and I both know, you can do those kinds of things and they certainly can be effective, but you are going to get to third down. And you are going to get to third down and six plus, seven plus. You're going to get into those situations where your offense can't function off deception and misdirection the same way it can on first and 10 or second and four. What we would view, Bob, as normal down and distance situations. So at that point in the NFL, as an offense, you have to be able to have a drop back passing game. And as a defense, you must be able to defend a drop back passing game. And that's why pass rush becomes so critical. And obviously, almost every coach in the league would love to be able to rush four and speed up the quarterback, even sack the quarterback, and then have seven in coverage. But I've talked to so many defensive coaches through the years, and I remember for years and years, Rod Rust, who has since passed away, would sit with me on Mondays. He sat with me for four or five years straight when he retired from coaching. And all he kept saying was, if you can't get there with four, you got to get there with five. If you can't get there with five, you got to rush a sixth. The point being that if you cannot impact the quarterback in the NFL, whatever down it is, you know, obviously third down is the one that is the money down, the possession down. If you cannot impact the quarterback, it is very difficult to play quality third down defense in the NFL. And look how important pass rush is. All we have to do is go back to the Super Bowl. We saw that in the second half of that game, and I can't, I don't know off the top of my head how many of those sacks came on third down, but obviously uh, Joe Burrow was sacked six times by the Rams on th- uh, in the second half of that game. And a lot of them came from multiple front looks. If you notice in the NFL, so many teams now are doing so many more things with their front looks out of their sub defenses, meaning five defensive backs, six defensive backs, some teams with seven defensive backs, because they're trying to create opportunities to put pressure on the quarterback. Well, two questions about the two positions we're going to talk about. Again, kind of wide angle lens before we get to specific guys. How much do you think it now changes the way or the traits that an NFL team is looking for in a pass rusher? Like, would the great pass rusher of the 80s and 90s, the Reggie Whites of the world, would they still, the Bruce Smiths, would they still be what they were then in today's game with the quick passing game or the way that these offenses now run? Or now, I mean, has it changed more to like the Von Miller, smaller, bend-the-edge guy who stands up half the time, a lot of times doesn't even have his hand on the ground, How much do you think it has now changed the way that the NFL views pass rushers and the skill set they're looking for from a college player? 
It's a great question. And to me, I think one of the things you really want to look for when you evaluate college pass rushers coming to the NFL is you want to see how they work within, let's say, a three to five yard metric off the snap of the ball. Because there's a lot of guys that can make second reaction sacks, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's the way you're going to judge pass rushers and evaluate them, I think you're making a mistake. You need to see how a guy works right off the snap in that three to five yard metric, and you hit it right on the head. You have to be able to bend somewhere along the line, and you have to be able to then flatten and close to the quarterback. Look, are there power pass rushers? Are there guys who use their hands exceptionally well? I mean, you can think of the Bosa brothers. They're really good using their hands, but then they play off that contact, and then they have speed and burst. At some point, you're going to have to have speed and burst. At some point, you're going to have to be able to bend and flatten because you, if you can't do that, it's very, very difficult to sack the quarterback. And obviously, you're going to have to be able to win on the high side, meaning the outside edge of the offensive tackle, and you're going to have to be able to counter and win on the low side, the inside shoulder of the offensive tackle. But that bend flexibility element to me, Bob, is so, so important. Yeah, I guess the great player would always be the great player, right? I mean, you, yes. you get a Bruce Smith or a Reggie White or a Lawrence Taylor. Remember I mean, like how those... low Bruce Smith used to get? He almost yeah. he almost got so low. It, I, I can't believe I just thought of this. It reminded me of Tom Seaver pitching where that back knee <laughs> we, would have so much dirt on it. Remember those clips? Because he would get so low delivering the ball. Bruce Smith would get so low. He had tremendous bend and flexibility. Only this podcast will somehow bring Bruce Smith and Tom Seaver there you go. together in the same comparison. Up uh, Before we take a break, same question regarding corners, right? Like if you go back to the corners of yesteryear, what, Dion or Lester Hayes or, yeah, I mean, even maybe the more modern guys like Champ Bailey or, or you know, Revis, like has the position of corner. Now we look at this draft and we'll talk about the Stingleys and the Sauce Gardeners of the world, but has that changed? Like the traits you're looking for, it used to be, all right, you're our best corner. You just go shut down the other team's six foot three, 210 pound stud wide receiver, and we'll figure out the rest from there. But offenses have changed. And I yeah. think, like, look at Tyreek Hill, right? And he might be the most productive wide receiver in the NFL. And he is certainly not the body type that they were looking for in a wide receiver even 10 years ago in the NFL. So how much. Has that evolution now changed with the offenses of today? Maybe the traits you're looking for in a corner. Well, to me, I think you must be able to play man-to-man coverage if you're going to be a high-quality corner. Because I think the days of just lining up and playing zone concepts, such as Tony Dungy's cover two, which was obviously extremely successful and in many ways trend-setting, I think the days of just playing like that are over in the NFL. So I think your corners need to be able to line up and play man. And there's essentially two forms of press man. There's what we call mirror match press man, where you don't necessarily jam the receiver. You wait for him to declare his release off the line of scrimmage, and then you just get in his hip pocket, whether it's the inside or the outside. Champ Bailey was a master at that. Um, And I think you have to be able to play that in today's NFL. Uh, I think if you can't line up with corners and match up man-to-man, particularly with the infusion of three-by-one sets where there's a single receiver to the short side of the field, you've got to be able to match up to that boundary X receiver man-to-man somewhere along the line. And I think it's critical that corners coming out today can do that. 
Well, in the top 10 of this draft, there will be some pass rushers and there will be some corners drafted, right? And there's no doubt about it. When we look at the top prospects of this draft, we're going to see both positions taken. When we come back, we're going to start to talk about some of those top prospects at both positions, at pass rusher and at corner. Bob Wischusen, Greg Cosell. This is Tapehead's Draft Season. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs... Yeah, like check out these hair. Pl- I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. Hey, hey, stranger. I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? Some people try to act like they. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So, what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Bob Shoes and Craig Cosell. We are back on Tapehead's draft season talking philosophically about how offenses and maybe the need for pass rushers and corners has changed in the NFL. But now let's get to some of the specific guys. And again, you know, Greg, we talked about those prototypical big monster pass rushers like the Bruce Smiths and, and the Reggie Whites of the world that, you know, kind of grew up on. That's not really what today's pass rusher looks like physically, right? When we look at the Aiden Hutchinson's, Kayvon Thibodeau's, they don't look like that, right? So maybe that is an example of how the game has evolved a bit and now what teams are looking for as far as the body type and the skill set of the pass rushers of today. So let's jump right off with Aiden Hutchinson, a a player that a lot of people think might be the first player taken in the draft. Yeah, and, and it's so interesting because he is not what you'd call a pure pass rusher in that old school sense, Bob. Uh, I think he's a very good prospect, and I think he'll be a very good pro, but you wouldn't say that he's a bender and a flexible player the way you think of those guys that can truly bend the edge and flatten. Um, He does work extremely well in sort of that two- to three-yard metric where he's got very good short area quickness, 
but he doesn't have ideal flexibility and bend. His game is predicated much more on that short area explosiveness and power and highly refined and strong heavy hands. And he had a staple move that he used over and over again, and he's going to need more than this in the NFL. Uh, and I don't know how much Michigan you did this year, if any, but he had that move where he he basically inside counter off an upfield step or two. And he really caught offensive tackles in the Big Ten and with other teams they played, really caught them off guard. And that was his staple move. He'll need more than that as a pass rusher in the league. But I think he's he he, he plays extremely hard and he has rapid fire hand movements and his hands are very very strong and heavy and i think that will be his calling card far more than the ability to to get low and bend the edge how about thibodeau i mean a guy that i've seen and again we don't do the mock drafts here but if you look at them he's mocked all over the place right i've I've saw him now six months ago he was kind of the de facto number one player on everyone's board everywhere he was going to be the first pick now, I don't think I see him on maybe but a handful as the first pick. Some have him going later in the top 10. Yes. So he, um, the opinions on Thibodeau seem to have moved around a bit. Why? And I think the reason for that is coaches, as you know the process, Bob, because you you know doing the Jets for years and years, you know the process. Coaches now get involved. Coaches don't get involved in these draft players until, oh, literally after the combine for the most part because they're working with free agency. So now that coaches get involved and they really study the players, they see what these players are and the scheme adaptability and how they fit. They're not just looking at traits. And one of the things that really stands out with Thibodeau when you watch his tape is he had some struggles flattening his rush path when he was able to clear the the high arc. And if you can't flatten your rush path, it's very, very difficult to be an outstanding edge pass rusher. And I thought that Thibodeau, the more I watched him, and I actually watched his tape from the last, I guess he played three years. I watched tape each and every season that he played at Oregon. And I think after a while, I kind of said to myself, he reminds me of a 20 pounds less Jadavion Clowney because he's a powerful man He plays with power and hand strength, but there's some stiffness throughout his body. And think about Jadavion Clowney, number one pick, kind of a consensus number one pick when he came out of South Carolina, but it's likely he'll be with his fifth team before the age of 28. And as you and I both know, premium edge pass rushers are not with five teams before the age of 28 because Clowney does not have that bend and flexibility. And I think Thibodeau is a little bit like that. And that ability to flatten your rush path is absolutely critical if you're going to be a big-time edge rusher in the NFL. You're going to scare people with that comparison, right? Now there are going to be guys who are going to listen to this podcast. Thibodeau is going to be taken by their team, and they're going to go, oh, no. Well, right, Cosell just compared yeah. him to the guy who now look, Jadavian Clowney is a good football u- player. Ultimately, he'll ha- he he is still in the middle of what is going to be a long NFL career. Correct, exactly. He will always have a job. He'll always be a contributor. He'll always be on someone's defense. But he's never going to be the quote unquote number one pick in the draft that he was supposed to be. And even the the most diehard football nerds like me who listen to this podcast probably still are wondering, like when you say flatten the rush path, 
and combine combined with the arc. I'm not even sure how many people listen to this podcast even know what that well, means. Well, we can explain so, that. Yeah, explain that and so, why you think it's so critical for Thibodeau. So what what for pass rushers, one thing that explosive edge pass rushers try to do is they immediately want to challenge the outside of offensive tackles. Because if you talk to O-line coaches, the last thing they want their offensive tackles to do is to immediately turn to the sideline. Because when you turn to the sideline, you open yourself up pretty much for two-way goes. So the way two-way go meaning that you can get beat to the outside and you can then get beat by counters inside. So they teach offensive tackles to try to stay as square as possible for at least two steps in their vertical pass sets. So they don't give up the inside, but then they still have that outside arm, the independent arm technique, the outside arm to theoretically push an edge pass rusher past the pocket. That's the goal. But these guys that now can really bend they get underneath that arm, and then the key there is not just being able to get underneath that arm, arm, Bob, but then you have to be able to turn your body as a pass rusher and flatten. Otherwise, you're just running by the quarterback. Right. And offensive tackles love it when you just run by the quarterback. They just push you, and you're done. You've seen that a thousand times. So you have to be able to turn your body on that inside leg and flatten your rush so that you can then close to the quarterback. Otherwise, you're just out of the pass rush. And Thibodeau is a guy that at times showed... Struggles with that. Struggles a little bit with that. Now, is that something that you think can be learned, Um, can be taught in the NFL, or do you need to see that on tape before you're going to spend a real high draft choice on him? Just like Clowney, I think there's your body. Some guys can't quite do that. Thibodeau showed a little of it at times, but enough where I sensed it's a question. And like I said, I watched a ton of Thibodeau. So I don't think that's going to be his calling card as a pass rusher. Um, So we'll see. But I don't think he does that just as a matter of course. I mean, just to throw out a name, uh, Arnold uh, Ekebeti, I think it is, from Penn State. He can do that. Now, he's a smaller man um, in terms of height than Thibodeau. But he has the ability to bend the edge. Now, he's got some other issues he's got to deal with. He only works the high side of the tackle, meaning the outside. And you can't just live in the NFL working one side of offensive tackles. As an edge rusher, you become too easy to defend if you don't have counters. But he can bend, whereas Thibodeau struggles to do that a little bit. Interesting. Uh, Give me like 30 seconds on a couple of other names while we have an opportunity here. How about Jermaine Johnson? Now, Jermaine Johnson is a player whose tape I absolutely love. And, you know, I saw him a little bit at Georgia a year ago because he's a transfer from Georgia because Georgia has all five stars and guys don't play every snap at Georgia. And Johnson probably wanted to go somewhere he could play every snap. So he went to Florida State. He really looks the part. I mean, I think that uh, the way I'll answer that, because we want to get to some more guys, is it would not surprise me, Bob, if in two, three, four years, he's the best pass rusher of this group. I think he's only scratching the surface of his ability to rush the quarterback. He has length. He can bend. He's got flexibility. He's got extremely long arms, which is a very important attribute when you talk to scouts and coaches. Uh, He's a really, really good athlete. And for his kind of lean, wiry frame, he's got power to him. So I think ultimately he could end up being the best best pass rusher of this group. How about George Karloftis? 
Yeah, he's a fascinating guy because he was a shot put champion in the state of Indiana as a high school kid. His upper body and his hands are as powerful as they come. He really is a strong man. Active hands, powerful hands. The issue for him is his lower body does not necessarily support it. He's a little stiff and not overly athletic with the lower part of his body. So there are a lot of pass rushes where if he did get stopped initially, he stopped his feet. And if you stop your feet in the NFL as a pass rusher, you're not going to get to the quarterback. So he's a fascinating guy because the strength that he has, the upper body and hand strength is so, so good, but he just does not have a lower body that goes along with it. So I'm really fascinated to see him in the NFL. And one other guy to talk about I think that's really fascinating is David Ajabo, right? The guy who yes. is gets hurt on his pro day. This is going to be like we're going to draft him and stash him maybe for a year. He might not play next year, but showed so much promise yes. at Michigan. What do teams do with him? Yeah, again, who knows about an Achilles? That's a really bad injury, obviously. But let's assume he's back normal. When you put on Michigan tape, of which I watched a lot, you could see immediately that Ajabo is just a more naturally explosive human being than Hutchinson. Um, and so Ajabo has really light, active feet. He's got really good quickness. He's explosive off the ball, particularly when he's a wide nine pass rusher, meaning he split far outside the offensive tackle. And he has that bend and flexibility. He can dip his shoulder. He can win off the edge. He can get low. And he showed a second gear as he flattened. And that's really important for guys that if they can flatten, instead of kind of losing their balance, some guys do that. They try to flatten and they lose their balance. He just exploded. So I think he's a fascinating prospect, assuming health, probably not a factor this year at all. But he has big time traits to rush the quarterback. Really interesting look at a lot of the pass rushers. Plenty of corners as well to talk about. We do that when we come back on Tapehead's Draft Season. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Back here on Tapehead's Draft Season, Bob Wishes and Greg Cosell talked about the philosophy of the offenses and the changes that we've seen, college to the pros, talked about the pass rushers. 
And obviously, Greg, when you talk offense, you talk about how it impacts your desire to have corners on your team as well. And there will be some very highly drafted yes. corners. Let's get to some of those guys. Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati. I think he tweeted yesterday, I'm the best player in the draft. So humility is not going to be his issue, right? Like, I think he has a lot of self-confidence he's going to bring to the NFL. Is it warranted? Could Sauce Gardner end up being the most impactful player in this draft? You know, I tweeted the same thing about myself yesterday, Bob, and nobody took notice. Strange. Uh, you know, I, I did, because uh, obviously I, I think you are underrated. <laughs> um, I really like Sauce Gardner's tape, and there's a perfect example of a guy. In college, as you know, the wide side of the field is wide, so the boundary side is smaller than in the NFL. He was the boundary corner in the Cincinnati defense, and he essentially played man coverage. And very often it was what we call zero man because the safety to the boundary side was Brian Cook, who's a very good prospect in his own right, but he rarely helped out Sauce Gardner. So he essentially was playing zero man coverage in Cincinnati's defense. I think he's the alpha dog corner in this draft class. Um, he fits the profile as well as you can fit the profile. 6'3", long, lean, competitive, athletic. Um, he's an annoying player if you're a receiver. He gets in your face. Um, he challenges receiver to receivers to match his level of swagger and confidence. Um, I think that he can line up and play man coverage. He's got really long arms. And you know what? That's a factor at corner. People might not think that, but it's a big factor because it allows you to get your hands on a lot of throws. So even if, let's say, you just beat a little bit on a vertical throw and then the receiver's just a little on top of you, Bob, that arm length is a factor. And for a guy that's kind of high cut and long legged, his 10 yard split in the 40 yard dash was very, very good. So I think Sauce Gardner, to me, because of his ability to play press man, which he did almost every snap, it seemed, at Cincinnati, um, is really the attribute that puts him over the top. Derek Stingley from LSU. Now, here's a guy that I think is really interesting because I had some LSU games this season. They were not going to be real good. We knew how much talent they had lost from when Burrow was there and they won the national championship. And there were these whispers with Stingley, like he's hurt, but this might be more of a get ready for the NFL draft opt out than it is. He right. actually has a season long injury, which I think actually makes him even more attractive now as an NFL prospect, because it seems like the whispers, what you're worried about is, oh, man, he missed the whole year last year, basically. And how hurt is he? I don't know that he really was like season ending injury hurt. I think they might have leaned on that as the excuse because it's kind of a bad look to say I'm opting out. Right. And I'm just going to go get ready for the NFL draft. But I mean, you know, I, I, people are worried about whether or not, you know, he's hurt or played last. I mean, how how'd Jamar I, Chase do after sitting out a year? Yeah, right? I like, don't think people worry about that anymore. Yeah, I don't Jamar think the NFL guys inside the rooms really worry about no, that, do you? No, you hit it right on the head. Look at Jamar Chase and Micah Parsons. I think they did okay. Um, <laughs> They're not bad. Yeah, so, I mean, Stingley, and I went back and looked at his 2019 tape when he was a freshman and burst onto the scene and people just said, this guy's the best corner around. Um, he certainly has all the physical and athletic traits. Uh, he's got size, he's got athleticism, he's got fluidity, he's got suddenness, he's competitive. Um, you watch him play mirror match press man, you see it. Knee bend, patience, balance, body control, easy transition, flips his hips. Um, he looks the part. 
there's a couple of things that he absolutely must work on. And I was taught this by somebody, and I can't remember, it was years ago, but he does have a tendency in press man, his first move, Bob, is he gets back on his heels as his first reaction to the receiver. And if you get back on your heels, you can compensate for that in college football. You want to be careful about that in the NFL where the receivers are better. Now, I think that can be fixed, but I think that's something that needs to be addressed. Um, I did not think he was as comfortable or as good playing off coverage as he was playing press man. So to me, he's really a press man corner. And I think that that fits how he wants to play. So it'll be very interesting. He only played 10 games in his final two seasons. So he's a guy that has not played a lot of football over the last two years. How about Trent McDuffie? Yeah, he's a guy I, I really loved watching him on tape because this kid is, I mean, you can tell that the, he loves playing football. And, and I, you know, you and I both know there's some guys who are good at football, but they don't live it and are super passionate about it. I mean, this guy's playing personality, uh, to use a term I like. He is super competitive. He's mentally tough. He was like a missile when he played, uh, defended the run. He would tackle. Um, and I think that's really important. Um, I think at the University of Washington, that's really important because all their corners are really good. They play their run with competitiveness and their ability from off coverage to plant and drive forward is really, really good. They must look for that at the University of Washington. But this kid to me is very smooth, very easy transition, opening his hips. He can play mirror match really, really well. Um, he squeezed receivers to the outside in mirror match when they released outside. He was physical with them. He got right in their grill and he pushed them to the sideline and he loved playing that way. And like I said, I thought he was really good in zone two. He showed great situational awareness. This is something watching NFL tape up just very quickly that aggravates me to no end. When you see teams playing zone and let's say it's third and 12 and they're playing zone. And you see the outside corner, whether it's cover three, you know, cover four, whatever it may be, and he jumps a five-yard route, and right. it's third and 12. There's no reason for that. You have to have situational awareness. And I think McDuffie was really, really good with that. He understood down and distance and its impact on his positioning in zone coverage. How about Kyer Elam? Yeah, he's he was a fun guy to watch, too, because he's another guy that was super, super physical. I mean, he just wanted to get in your face. And some of these guys have to learn in the NFL to be a little careful, because obviously in college football, as you know, you can be a lot more physical beyond five yards and you cannot in the NFL. But he just crowded receivers off the ball. He disrupted their releases. He was very physical through the early part of the route stem. There was a physical presence to the way in which he played. Um, another guy who squeezed outside release routes to the sideline with physicality. There was a competitive edge to his play. Um, another guy that has the plant and drive quickness to react to throws in front of him. Um, I, another guy that I, I really, really liked. And he predominantly, like Sauce Gardner, he predominantly lined up at boundary corner in the Florida defense. So he played a lot of man-to-man -man coverage. Kyler Gordon, what about him? Yeah, the boy, Washington does get corners, don't they, Bob? They do. They sure do. It seems like every year these guys get corners. Um, yeah, Gordon's another guy that is, I think, a really, really interesting prospect. Um, and I think he's another really physical, uh, not as physical as McDuffie, but he's a better athlete. 
than McDuffie. Um, I think he's a more explosive mover. I don't think he's as refined in the way in which he plays his techniques, but I think people will get very excited about his explosive traits. One quick question. We There are other guys to talk about, obviously, and on future episodes as we build up towards the draft, we'll definitely get some of the further off-the-radar pass rushers and some further off-the-radar corners that might be drafted in later rounds, some guys you think are diamonds in the rough. But there's no question that Gardner and Stingley are going to go and go high. Well, These other guys yeah. that you mentioned, are these first-round gradable players? Are these guys you think are high second round, if not in the first all of the guys that we just went through, are, are, should teams expect and should fans expect their teams to be drafting these guys if they need a corner real high? Um, corner is a premium position, as we've discussed. And I think there's one other player that will be fascinating, and that's Roger McCreary from Auburn, who I, okay. whose tape I really, really like. And, you know, he's the same size as Tredavious White. And if you put on his tape versus Kayshawn Booty of LSU and Jamison Williams and John Mechie of Alabama, you'll see a really good corner. Um, now, very, people are very much worried about his arm length. People say, well, no one's played corner in the NFL at a higher level with his really short arms. I, that, I don't know the answer to that. But, you know, I think that there's going to be a lot of corners drafted in the top 40 because it's such a premium position in this league. You have to have corners and you never have enough. Because how many teams now play the majority, and it varies, but the majority of their their defensive snaps in nickel or in dime? It's it's probably well more than 50%. Some teams play 70 80%. The Buffalo Bills are a nickel defense. They do not play in base. So, you know, having corners is really important. So the position is absolutely critical. So corners are going to get drafted high. And we'll have more to talk about as we continue to take you up towards the draft. Hit us up on social media. Let us know the players and player positions you'd like to hear about. Coming up on our next episode, when it drops on Thursday, we'll speak to former Ohio State and NFL linebacker Bobby Carpenter. He'll walk us through how players prepare for the jump from college to the pros. We'll get his thoughts as well on some players. Obviously, he lives in that Columbus, you know, Ohio corridor where you got the Ohio State guys, the Cincinnati guys to talk about with him as well as the rest of the draft as a whole. Join us again Thursday for our next episode of Tapehead's Draft Season. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. 
Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.